Uh, yeah, it's a good, good trip. Good trip. Um, one more uh, announcement since I'm here. Uh, we're going to have prayer tonight, um, all church prayer meeting tonight at 6.30, uh, led by Brian Madison. It will be uh, internationally focused in general, uh, praying for our, our missionaries and future missionary endeavors uh, of our church. Um, so please come and, and pray for those things. Um, yeah, uh, and thanks for welcoming me back. Thank you for sending me. Thank you for sending my family uh, away. Uh, I'm sure you wish you could have done it for longer, but I'm back. <laughs> and um, and we're, we're coming in right between a couple sermon series. I'll explain what we're, where we are, what we're doing after I pray. So let's pray first and then uh, get into this. Jesus, our King, uh, we come to you to, to worship you. To, to declare your praises, to say how great you are, uh, because this is this is what we were made to do, and this is right and fitting for us to worship the Lord our God. We pray that uh, through the teaching of your word, through the receiving of your preached word, we would be worshiping, uh, that we would be uh, humbly before you, praising and, and uh, exalting the name of Christ above every other name. Let the result of our time here be the exaltation of the name of Christ, the health of his church, um, and the preaching of the gospel. We love you. We pray that you would be with us, um, that your spirit would be on us, that we would be given ears to hear what the spirit has to say to the church. Amen. 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 Um, so, uh, before I went down to Mexico, uh, the last time I was here, we finished the book of Habakkuk, uh, and next week is um, the first week of Advent, so we'll be doing uh, Christmas messages. Uh, we're going to look at the, the family of Jesus, uh, his uh, relatives Elizabeth and Zechariah, and then Mary and Joseph as we lead up towards uh, Christmas. In the new year, we'll start the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, right now, um, we're just kind of stuck in the middle of all that, right? Uh, but it's not a church holiday, but it's still the best holiday this Thursday is Thanksgiving, um, right? It is this coming Thursday, right? Yeah, okay, good. I'm on, on, on track. Uh, followed by the next best holiday, which is my birthday, next Sunday. Um, so uh, if you could go uh, turn in your Bibles... Um, so it's a little unusual for us to be doing you know, a, a topical message, but 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 is sort of your classic give thanks passage. There's others, of course. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. And then um, I'll also be reading to you from Matthew 26, verse 26 through 28, uh, which is the first Thanksgiving, way before the pilgrims and the Indians and stuff. This is the real one, okay? Um, the first Thanksgiving, yes. First uh, Thessalonians five sixteen through eighteen says, "Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you." Then in Matthew twenty six, verse twenty six says, "And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it." 
and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. I'm thankful for these passages. These are familiar passages. They're important verses. Um, not that some verses aren't important, but this, this verse from Thessalonians uh, is, is essentially important as it answers the question that people are almost constantly asking, which is, what is the will of God for my life? Here it is. Rejoice, always pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, so we can check that off. You never need to ask that question again. Um, or, or give thanks in all circumstances, as the ESV says it. This is the will of God uh, for you. Now I'm going to unpack these verses a little bit. In doing so, I will be telling you God's will for your life, an ambitious goal, but that's what we're going to do. Um, and of course, uh, when people think of you know God's will for their life, they're usually not thinking of giving thanks and praying and all that spiritual stuff because uh, you know we're more practical than that. And what we really want to know is how and when I should retire, go to college, or move, or what should I major in, or quit jobs, or stay, or go, or wait, or whatever. You know, matters of vocation. Where am I called to? What am I called to be doing? And of course, these are real questions. Hopefully, uh, you do wrestle with these questions from uh, time and time again. Uh, and I know, of course, we should be seeking God's guidance regarding some of these things, uh, all of these things. He can lead you in all of those kinds of decisions, and I believe he's willing to do so. But, but don't get ahead of yourself. Because 1 Thessalonians 5 says his will for you. And to separate his specific, uh, practical will for you, in the here and now, to separate that from his expressed will that he has made known in Scripture for you and all believers, to separate those two things would be foolish. His specific will for you and his calling for you is best known and best discovered through obedience to the will he's already expressed to you, the things he's already told you to do. In other words, the best way to discover the unknown will of God is to obey the known will of God. That shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. It might be a little bit convicting, but it shouldn't be surprising. <laughs> there are specific commandments that are given to all believers that I believe are of more importance than finding out, you know, uh, what school you should go to or where you're going to retire to. You know, uh, for example, you are called. You are called, listen, this is the voice of God speaking to you from on high, okay? You are called by God to care for orphans and widows. James 1.27, right? You're called by God. It is the will of God for your life to love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22.39. You're called to make disciples wherever you go, Matthew 28.19. You are called to bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. And to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are in chains as if chained with them, Hebrews 13, 13 uh, verse 3. We're called to be disciples. We're called to make disciples. We're called to follow Jesus. And where Jesus goes, that's where we're called to, to low places, to lepers, to foot washings, to crosses. We're called to those places. And then we say, I want to know God's will for my life, because we know we don't want to do any of that stuff. So we're hoping there's another calling somewhere else. But sometimes, you know, we'll forget that it's God's will. He's already told you much of his will. He's told you where he wants you to be. And we know his will in the world. He's willing that none should perish but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3.9. He's willing and mighty to save. 
We know the will of God. We know the will of God. And one little part of it, one little part of his, his will, is that you would give thanks and rejoice and pray in all things. And it, it is the known and expressed will of God for every believer to have thanksgiving, to give thanks. Thanksgiving is mandated in Scripture. How about that? I knew it was my favorite holiday for a reason. Uh, this Thursday, you can know you are doing the will of the Lord. Uh, these, these three things, rejoicing, praying, giving thanks, they're, they're closely connected. Uh, they come as kind of a, a set in a variety of passages. I'll show you one from Philippians a little bit later. Um, and, and, of course, this time of year, we're, we're focusing on the thanksgiving element. What do we have to be thankful for? How do we obey the will of God, which is to give thanks in every circumstance? Now, I'm going to turn back to Matthew 26. Um, and I'm going to read it again. Matthew 26, 26 says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks. Thanksgiving meal. Gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the many for the remission of sins. Um, now, of course, this right away is something worth giving thanks for if you wanted to make a list. The new covenant, I'm thankful for that. You should be too. Um, but there, there's something else in this passage that connects it forever to our, our calling of thanksgiving, to the connection of... of uh, God's will for your life and giving thanks in all circumstances. In verse 27, uh, it says, you know, given, he had, when he had given thanks, uh, the Greek word there is Eucharistio, which should sound familiar as many in the world call communion, the Eucharist. Eucharist literally means thanksgiving. You thought thanksgiving was once a year and had to do with turkeys. You would be wrong. <laughs> you come to church, we do thanksgiving a whole lot more frequently. The portions will be smaller. <laughs> The first Thanksgiving, the first Eucharist, was with Jesus in the upper room where he instituted the Lord's Supper and through a divine miracle and a divine act that was expressed through thanksgiving, he elevated uh, an old covenant meal to a new covenant meal and he elevated bread and wine to body and blood. He transformed something, he elevated something through thanksgiving to be given as a blessing to all so we're looking at this thanksgiving in an effort to discover and obey the will of God for our lives. That is how to give thanks, because that is what you're called to. Um, of course, we could do the thanksgiving thing, and we could get on all hold hands and say what we're thankful for. We'd be here a long time. Uh, but there are, there are plenty of things to give thanks for. Jesus, when he took the bread and blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, he said, eat, this is my body. That's one thing to be thankful for. Yeah. Jesus says that the bread at the Thanksgiving meal is his body. John 6, 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. Um, and and he, he took that bread and he, he broke it because his body was broken. And he gave it because his body has been given to us. Um, Jesus does three things to this bread that represents body. He blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it. And I think this is not an, an accidental use of words, bless, break, and give. Um, this is what God did to Jesus, and it's worth giving thanks for. In fact, I would say it is inextricably tied to our act of thanksgiving and how we give thanks, and how we give thanks in all things, and not just the things we immediately feel thankful for. So I'm going to take these three things, bless, broke, and give. Uh, the bread first was blessed. Jesus was blessed. 
God blessed Jesus. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, it's prophesying of the Messiah, and it says, To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. He is our blessed God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.21 says that Christ, when he was raised from the dead, was seated at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jesus is certainly blessed by God. And why is this something to be thankful for? Because this blessed God has been given as head over all things to the church. His blessings are for you. He has been blessed for your benefit. And as you are in Christ, you share in all of his blessings. Galatians 3.16, it says that the blessings and promises that were given to Abraham were realized in Christ, and then that you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Jesus, the bread of life, was blessed, and that matters to us because we partake in a blessed bread of life. It matters that Jesus is blessed because since all authority has been given to him, he can say, he he has the authority to bless us. Because Jesus was given authority, he can say to us, as it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, uh, he gives us authority over all the power of the enemy. Because Jesus was blessed with resurrection from the dead, he has authority now to raise us up from the dead. Jesus is our representative, which means that what happened to him in essence has happened to us. Romans 6 says that because Jesus died, we died. We died with him. And because Christ was raised from the dead, we also are raised unto newness of life. The blessing that God blessed Jesus with is the blessing that he blesses you with. It's the same ingredients. It's the same serving size. The blessing that God blesses Jesus with, he also blesses us with. Jesus was blessed with the Holy Spirit without measure. We are blessed with the Holy Spirit. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Don't ask me what that means. I just know it's cool. Like, isn't that, that's too much, right? Because Jesus has been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, and we're in him, and that's where our life is, hidden with Christ in God. We get all the blessings. This is worth some thanksgiving, I think. <laughs> well, let's, let's bring it back a little bit. We should be thankful for these spiritual blessings, first and foremost. They are much more valuable than any material blessings we have received. But let's be face it. We are really, really blessed in that other material realm as well, aren't we? Um, and, and I realize, of course, depending on where you are in life and what stage you're in, you may not feel wealthy all the time. That's... Uh, probably because you have a skewed perspective, but we don't always feel wealthy. You may have heard numbers like this before, but I think it's a good idea to be reminded that uh, close to 3 billion people in the world live on less than $2 a day. Simple math, do it in your head, figure out what percentage of your annual income. $2 a day. And how do they buy food? How do they buy clothes? They don't. That's the thing. People are poor, and you're not. Um... You know, 3 billion or so, that's less than half the world's population, but over 80% of the people on this planet live on less than $10 a day. Um, 22,000 children, that's a little less than twice the population of Oakhurst, I think, right? 22,000 children die every day 
because they're hungry. <laughs> Every four seconds. Okay? That won't happen to my kids because I can buy them food. Uh, we, just, we just don't understand how rich we are. We don't get it. And I am, obviously, please, don't think I'm saying this so that you can feel guilty on Thanksgiving when you gorge yourself or something like that. But, you know, we're not, we're not supposed to feel guilty for being, you know, not poor or something. Uh, or for having been born in a culture like ours instead of another one. But like I said, we're commanded to care for the poor, the orphans, the widows. And it is our obligation to give to them and give thanks for the blessings that we have. I, I drive a car that I own. It has all four wheels. It goes forward when I push the skinny pedal. Like, does, you know? Like, I'm wearing clothes right now, and if I don't want to wear these ones, I can go home and then put on other ones that I also have. Oh, that's right. I have a home. Like, I'm going to go home and eat a full meal, and then, if I'm feeling crazy, I might get another one later today. You know? Like, that's so much. It's just so much. I'm blessed. How many of you deserved to be born into the family situation that you, you were born into instead of, say, I don't know, Afghanistan? You know, sold as a child bride at eight or something like that. You didn't deserve to be blessed, did you? What does that sound like? I think, that, I think you call that grace, pretty sure. Give thanks. So just be thankful. Just give thanks for your blessings. Now, I've already said it, but I'll repeat it before we move on. The temporal blessings that I mentioned are, are nothing, even less than nothing, compared with the spiritual blessings we receive in Christ. Amen. We have fellowship with God. Um, when, when Paul talks about his sufferings for the gospel, you know, he calls them light and momentary afflictions. Um, I think there's many good things, blessings even, that are e we need to see as equally light and momentary. Like his worst times, he saw those are light and momentary because there's heaven. But there's a lot of things that people think are important, that they say, like, this is what my life is, is built around. It's like, that's just as light and momentary. It only lasts as long as you're here. That's pretty short. So we don't set our hope in financial success or health or anything like that. But whatever we do receive from the hand of God, and that's everything you have. For all those things, we say thank you. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. So we say thank you. Next, Jesus broke the bread. Again, Jesus is the bread. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. My body is broken for you. Jesus was broken. We have to be thankful for this. Uh, the Eucharist, the thanksgiving, is thanks for a broken body and blood. That's what it is. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. It is, it's true that we share in all of Christ's blessings, but we have access to those blessings because Jesus was broken. He was rich and was made poor for our sakes. And now he's rich again and he's bringing us with it. Our thanksgiving has to go back further than, you know, Plymouth Rock. It has to go back to the cross. Jesus was broken and that is our blessing. Without it, we are still dead in our sins. When we sing our praise songs and our hymns, we are singing to a God who died for us, who was broken for us. And that's something that sets Christianity miles apart from any other religion, worldview, or philosophy. So we, we can never skirt around the fact Jesus died for you. We have to say that over and over again and remind ourselves, Jesus, Christ died for my sins according to the scriptures. Jesus died for me. Jesus loves you and he died for you. This is the gospel. You know, I mentioned all those um, 
social problems, right? Poverty, hunger, children dying, because those are things that matter. They should matter to us. They matter to me. They should matter to you. They need to matter to the church. There you go. Yeah. Um, I, I believe with all my heart that, that those are obligations, that there's a Christian obligation to address those needs like poverty and hunger and, and sickness and all those things. Proverbs 21.13 is a really scary passage. I know we're doing Thanksgiving and not Halloween, but this could be the scary passage of the day, okay? Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Wow. I don't like that at all. But I, so I, I mentioned those things because they matter, but... I don't think for an instant that the gospel is about helping people. It's, a, it's about saving people, right? The gospel is not about helping people. It's about saving people. Jesus died for our sins, not for our stomachs. <laughs> you don't have to die to give someone a paycheck and a warm meal, but to pay for sins, someone has to. Someone has to die. If the bread from heaven is going to feed anyone, the bread has to be broken. Thank God that your sins are forgiven by the spilled blood of Christ. Now certainly, because Jesus suffered for our sins, we don't have to, praise God. You don't have to be broken for the sins of the world. No one's asking you to be broken for the sins of the world. We, do, we don't have to earn our forgiveness, we simply receive it by faith. In the same way you didn't work to be born where you were born, you don't work to be born into the family of God. However, Christ is our example, not only in blessing, but also in breaking. Philippians 1.29 says, For to you has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And if you've lived, you know what I'm talking about. God broke Jesus on the cross. Does God still break people? Yeah, yeah, he does. And in a variety of different ways, even. Uh, Hebrews 12.6 says that God chastens every son whom he receives. And that... This doesn't seem pleasant, but it's good. Further on down in, in Hebrews 12, it says uh, that we are disciplined for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We are broken so that we might share in the holiness of God. Now, again, there's different reasons why God would discipline his children. The first thing that comes to mind when we think of chastening or discipline is being punished for something we've done wrong, right? Um, well, there, there are other reasons for discipline that we'll look at. We can't skip over that one. Does God punish his, his kids sometimes? Yeah, yeah, he does, actually. He chastens every son whom he receives. Every son. Um, if he doesn't, Hebrews indicates that you're an illegitimate son. Why does he punish us? Because he doesn't want you to turn out like a rotten kid. No one likes to be around the kid whose parents were too soft, right? He's not, he's not willing for you to continue in your sins. His will is your sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. You can chalk that up to the list of God's will for your life. And if he were to allow you to continue in the sins that he hates and that are damaging you, that are destroying you, what kind of parent would he be? How would this be in accordance with your sanctification? As his children, as heirs of the kingdom, you are being raised by royalty to be royalty. If you don't behave like the royal family, your father, the king, will correct you. You might not want to hear it, but we ought to be thankful that we have a father who cares about us enough to not leave us as we are. When we say that it's his will 
for your that his will is your sanctification. You can have confidence that he is able to finish the good work that he's begun in you. You can give thanks that the sins that you struggle with now won't be with you forever. Uh, you can be thankful that God is not willing that you should continue in sin that would destroy you, but that he has every, uh, every desire and all the means to correct you and set you back where you need to be. Uh, this might be a, a severe mercy, but it's a mercy nonetheless. His correction, the way he breaks us, is something to be thankful for. Now, thinking of our sufferings and trials only in terms of retribution, of course, would be very narrow, very incomplete view of reality. You can't get this complex where every time you stub your toe, you wonder if God's punishing you for something. That's not Christianity. That's something else. Come for counseling. We'll talk about it. Um, okay? Like, don't, don't do that. Um, it's certainly not the only reason for being broken, but the, Bi the Bible speaks of tests, right? Abraham offering Isaac. Job. Your faith will be tested. Every word of God that falls on your heart, the enemy will try to remove. Every victory you have, will, uh, he will try to discount. Every failure, the enemy will rub it in your face. Your, your, your faith will be tested. Why does God allow you to be tested? God tests men, not necessarily because of their sin, but because it is his will for them to advance to the next grade. When do you take a test? It's the final. It's at the end of class. So you can go on and take another class. Tests are not for punishment, they're for promotion. And we can thank God that he is shaping us into the image of Christ, even through these means. God will allow you to be broken to teach you things. Psalm 119.71 says, it's good that I've been afflicted, that I may learn your law. Uh, same Psalm, Psalm 119.67 says, because, or sorry, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Psalm 66, verse 10 says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. He, he tests you uh, to remove the dross and make you more shiny. Hebrews chapter 12, remember, uh, he, he disciplines us every son he, he receives that we might share in his holiness. Well, the tests polish up that holiness so we can see his face in it. Now, if I remember correctly, this was supposed to be a Thanksgiving message and, of course, this is where things get difficult because... I don't expect you, and I don't think anyone expects you, to enjoy correction or testing or suffering of any kind. Uh, it even said in Hebrews 12 that no discipline seems pleasant, right? Christianity is not some masochistic ideology that's out of touch with reality where you're supposed to, like, hurt and enjoy it. Okay, pain, pain isn't fun. Suffering isn't fun. And yet in spite of that, James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. How... How do we count it all joy and trial and testing that aren't joyful? Like, we know they're not. So count it as joy, count the unfun things as fun? Okay, what, what do we do? How are we to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in every circumstance? I think you have to notice in the passage in Thessalonians is that this verse, our key verse, is a command and not a suggestion. We're commanded to rejoice and pray and, and give thanks in every circumstances. We're, we're told to count it all joy when we suffer and when we're in various trials. What this tells me is that to rejoice is a choice. Uh, to give thanks is, is a, a, a willful act. What this tells me is that you don't need to be thankful for something in order to give thanks for it. Now let me explain this. In your body, you have voluntary muscles and involuntary muscles, right? Your heart, uh, you don't have to think about it. 
to have it keep going. It's an important muscle, but it's involuntary, right? It just does its own thing, usually. Uh, you can't you can't start and stop. Yeah, thinking of you. Uh, you can't stop or start your heart just by thinking about it. You can't just like get in your headspace and 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 stop your heart. Uh, when it does stop, everything else stops too. Uh, the voluntary muscles, skeletal muscles, okay, the muscles on your arms and legs, and you tell what to do. Your mind tells them what to do. You control these muscles by choice. Rejoicing and praying and giving thanks are voluntary muscles. <laughs> People don't think of them this way. They think of rejoicing as something, well, if something jumps out from behind the wall and it makes me happy, then I'll rejoice. <laughs> and and if, if I really like the thing, then I guess I'll be thankful and, and that's it. That, that's not how any of this works. You choose to give thanks. Amen. That's on you. Amen. Psalm 116, 17 says, I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. That's a profound statement, don't you think? It is the will of God for you to give thanks in every circumstance. And at times, that will be a sacrifice. That will be like killing something. It will feel like death. Because sometimes the bread is broken. And in fact, if anyone's going to eat it, it has to be. Please, thank God for something that you don't want to. Thank Him for something that you're just not thankful for. Do it. Not as some sort of weird discipline to get yourself yourself in this positive thinking place. Do it in obedience. Because you're told to give thanks in every circumstance. Times of brokenness are promised to us, whether that's for discipline or testing or something else entirely, but it's always for intimacy. It's always for intimacy. Your brokenness is to bring you closer to the God who loves you. And and Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Thank God for your broken heart because he's near. Thank God for his gentleness, his lowliness, that he's near to the one with the broken heart. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Suffering leads to comfort. Hosea 6.1 says, Let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. Now again, if you've lived through this, you know, you know this to be true. When have you grown the most in your relationship to Christ? When you've been closest to the heart of Christ? What event or season brought you to the throne of grace more than any other? Was it not the same thing that broke you? That was a meaningful mm mm-hmm from the front row. If you're on the other end of that kind of suffering and have the benefit of hindsight, you can probably attest to the fact that the breaking is the blessing. You can't remove one from the other. Christ's breaking led to his blessing, and your breaking will do the same. When Christ was broken on the cross, he became a blessing to others, leading many sons to glory. When you are broken, perhaps it's for the benefit of someone else. Now hold that thought, because we see that after the bread was blessed, after it was broken, the bread of that first Thanksgiving was given. Christ was blessed for our benefit and broken in order to be given It's not too early to start talking about Christmas, right? Jesus is our Christmas present. Uh, You may have heard the phrase, blessed in order to be a blessing, blessed to be a blessing. I think that this is a good thing to remember. Just as Jesus was blessed in order to bless everyone, so are we blessed in order to bless others. Remember back to that part earlier where I told you all how rich we are? Why do you think that is? 
Why has God shown us such grace that we have, have the resources we have? I believe that the reason we've been blessed is so that we can be a blessing to others. That's not really a reach. There's nothing profound about that. (laughs) We can give to the poor. We can feed the hungry. We can bless the orphan and the widow. And since these things are commanded in Scripture, we should be doing it a whole lot. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. But again, if we stop there, we would be stopping too soon. We're blessed to be a blessing, but we are also broken to be a blessing. When we are blessed, when we are broken, it is so that we can be the gift, so that we can be given. How does, how does God love the world? He gave his son. What did that look like? Crucifixion. What is he giving the world now? He's still giving the world the same thing, Jesus. How is he doing that? Through his body, the church. He's giving Jesus by giving you, you're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. God desires to give you to this world. We are to go into all the world with the gospel. You are being given. You are being sent. We talk about spiritual gifts, and sometimes we do so uh, too, too narrowly, maybe uh, incorrectly. We talk about spiritual gifts as something that we have, and usually it's, we talk about it as something that we keep, which is even worse, because gifts are to be given. Uh, but there's also a place in Ephesians 4 where God says I have, uh, that the Lord, sorry, Paul says that the Lord gave some to be teachers and prophets and evangelists. In the case of those spiritual gifts, the gift is the person. He gave the teacher. He gave the missionary. He gave the evangelist. You are being blessed in order to be given. You are being broken in order to be given. Your giftings and your blessings, whether material or spiritual, are not for you alone. They're for someone else. You get to find out who. When when you go through the breaking and your faith is being tested and, and you ask the age-old question, why me, God? The answer might be, it's not about you. <laughs> Wrong question. Second Corinthians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You're broken in order to be comforted so that you can give that comfort to another. It's possible that you have suffered only to receive comfort from God, the Father of all comfort, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, in order that you may share that comfort with people who have suffered in the same way or similar way as you have. Let yourself be given, please. And give thanks that that is what you have been called to. Give thanks that God has a plan for you that goes beyond you. People say, God has a wonderful plan for your life, right? And I'm going to tell you what it is. It's his plan for your life that you be spent bringing him glory. That's the plan. There it is. Skip to the end. Right? (laughs) To be spent bringing people to Christ is to be spent serving others. That's the plan. Thank God that's the plan because life is too short to be wasted on anything else. Now, I I want to take you back to the first verse that I read. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. These three things, rejoice, pray, and thanks, they show up as a team elsewhere in Scripture. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You'll notice, I hope, that they say these passages, Thessalonians and Philippians, they say the same thing. Rejoice always in Thessalonians turns to be anxious for nothing. In Philippians. Pray without ceasing is turned to in everything by prayer and supplication. In everything give thanks. It becomes with thanksgiving. All, all three are choices. All three are commands. And the result from the three is the peace of God. And the peace of God surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. As you give thanks and rejoice in the gift, in Christ being given to you, blessed, broken, and given. And as you see yourself in him, you see your life hid with Christ in God, as you are the one who has been blessed tremendously. You have been broken, but not past repair. And you are being given. And you see, this is, this is what intimacy with Christ looks like. As you give thanks in that and pray about that and even rejoice in that, the result will be the peace of God that passes understanding. That peace is something I want you to be able to give thanks for. Give thanks that Christ is our blessed God. Give thanks for the blessing that he's given you. Marvel in that. Give thanks that Christ was broken and died for you. But be sure to give thanks in your own times of brokenness as well. Out of obedience, if nothing else. Give thanks that Christ was given and that God so loved the world that he gave. Give thanks that God who has access to a lot better equipment, has decided he'd be willing to send you. And thank him for the peace that passes understanding. Peace be with you. Let's pray. And Jesus, we're praying now and thanking you now, and we already confess, we know that we're going to say amen and go and get distracted and then, and then stop praying and stop thanking and stop rejoicing, but... Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would train us in having our minds fixed in this place, coming before the throne of grace to receive help in time of need, and we're always needy. We rejoice in the good work that you're doing in our church and in the families here. We thank you for the work you're doing and the work that you've promised to do. We thank you above all things for Christ and for ministering his heart to us by your Holy Spirit and through your word. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.